Amen. I'm standing up here going on four hours of sleep last night. Let me tell you why. Can demons get on dogs? Because last night, three o'clock in the morning, my, I have two dogs. One of my little dogs who sleeps next to me, just one of them, he doesn't shed, jumped down and decided he needed to go out three o'clock in the morning. I rebuked it. I bound it. But it didn't change him. So I had to, you know, wake up, let him out, both of them, wait for them to do whatever and come back. And then I'm wide awake. And I wanted to pray with Jesus concerning today. Lord, if there's any way that you can let this cup pass from me. But I feel good. God's good. Matter of fact, in the first, in the first service, I almost preached myself completely out. But I'm good today. Amen? Amen. I love my dogs. But, but I did tell them when I walked out, I said, you, you need to be thankful you're alive as I leave. All right. Now, we've been talking about Jesus' final 24 hours. He had a final 24. Lots of things happened in the final 24. And we've been tracking those things because three of uh, the experiences he encountered, we, we encounter also in one way or another. And I want to read to you two accounts, the account of when he entered Jerusalem on the first Palm Sunday, and then I want to read to you an account of how the crowd was treating him on his way to the cross. Because we're going to see the same crowd acting two different ways. That's why I've called this today the fickle crowd. If you don't know what fickle means, we've heard the phrase fair weather, friend. Some people that are with you, then they're not. They're in, but they're out. They're there, but they're gone. There's no, their, their loyalty depends on circumstances and, and just how the wind blows, and that's the way this crowd was. Jesus had to endure the, the abandonment of this crowd. Some of you have endured abandonment today. And if not abandonment, injustice. Because those two things I'm going to show you Jesus experienced uh, as he headed towards the cross. Injustice, terrible injustice. And painful abandonment. So let's read Matthew 21, verse 7. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. They took off their cloaks so that Jesus could, so that Jesus' donkey could walk on them. And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, read it with me, everybody, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Well, if I hear people saying that about me, I think they like me a little bit, don't you? But now let's look at what happened just six chapters later. Chapter 27, verse 20, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes, same crowd, persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas, a convicted murderer, and destroy Jesus. Pilate tried to talk him out of it. He said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all, the whole crowd, the Palm Sunday crowd, now said to him, let him be crucified. No wonder the Bible says, there is no help with man, but help is in the Lord. Amen? Amen. 
Lord, we just thank you right now for your blessing. And I pray you'll just shine your word into our hearts and help us to glean richly from it. And we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Turn your neighbor and tell him, perk up and listen, you're going to need this sometime this year. Amen. Now, so far we've tracked Jesus in the final 24, and we've looked at three things that he experienced. And again, we, we have experiences that parallel these. Betrayal. Most everybody in here has been betrayed one time or another, and it hurts. Struggle with God's will. Some of you are struggling with God's will right now. You're in a struggle between what you want and what you feel like God wants. And then lastly, injustice. And we're going to look today at how Jesus encountered injustice and abandonment. And these three things he encountered on his way to the cross in the final 24. So look how he was being resisted before he got to fulfilling the very reason for which he came to this planet, to die on the cross for you and me. We've just read Matthew's account of how the same crowd that shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, days later are crying out, crucify him. What a switch. What a change. And that's nuts. How do you get there? Well, the Bible takes us behind the scenes to reveal that the fickle crowd was also, in turn, influenced by false accusations from the chief priests, the religious leaders, the teachers of the Bible, were turning the crowd against, every, against the very man the Bible had prophesied from Genesis to Malachi. Because that's what they had then, the Old Testament only. It says the chief priests, the elders, and all the councils sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. So they were looking for good liars. They were just looking for good liars. People who would lie about him. It didn't matter what they said, what they accused him of, anything that would stick. They were just throwing anything against the wall that would stick, hoping something would stick so they could have him killed. But the Bible goes on to say they found none. That is, they didn't find any false accuser whose accusation would stick. They found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. Pilate himself, who was not a believer in Jesus, he was totally secular, politician only. And Pilate said to the chief priests who were trying to get him crucified, I have found no fault in this man. And then he spoke for Herod. He said, neither has Herod. Indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Not anything deserving of death has been done by this man. Now, there stood Jesus. He's been arrested. He has already been abused to a point. He is standing there, an innocent man. No man more innocent in the history of the world ever stood before a court than Jesus. In all points, tempted like we are, yet never sinned. He never had to repent once. Never once did a shadow come between him and the Father. Totally innocent, standing there. And the Bible also records that his trial was preceded by a vile conspiracy. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed, they schemed 
to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. So there were all kinds of things going on behind the scenes that the crowd was unaware of. All kinds of sinister stuff. They were absolutely determined to stop this man, Jesus. They envied him. We're told that it was because of envy they delivered him up. Just like Joseph was delivered up by his brothers because of envy. They were envious of him and jealous of him because the crowds loved him. He had healed. He, he was a, a wonder, miracle worker. And they envied him. They had lost their grip on the people because of Jesus. So we've got a conspiracy going on. It's been said that the arrest and the trial and the conviction and the sentencing and the execution of Jesus Christ was and is still without legal precedent in the history of the world. And you understand why, because nobody was ever more innocent. And yet nobody was ever more lied about and done wrong and experienced more injustice than Jesus. 22 laws regarding how a trial was to be conducted were broken. 22 laws. They broke 22 laws to kill him. He suffered the death penalty, even though Pontius Pilate himself found him innocent. He was dragged through a biased kangaroo court, charged with false accusations, and found guilty with not one scintilla of proof, none. He was innocent. So Jesus, who we just worship here today, was railroaded. Scripture reveals that the Lord knew this was exactly how it was all going to go down. He knew. It says that when he was led before the council and they looked at him, this is the religious council now, the high priest, the teachers of the Old Testament, the teachers of the word of God, the religious leaders. It says that they began to say to him, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? Tell us if you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, if I tell you, you won't believe me and you will not let me present my case. He knew he was going to be railroaded. He knew it was going to be kangaroo court. He knew he was going to experience bitter injustice. So Jesus, catch this, he suffered or suffered the sting of injustice and the abandonment of the very crowds that he had helped and healed. Demons had come out. Leprosy had been cleansed. Eyes had been opened. Deaf ears had been unstopped. The dead had been raised. And yet they cried, crucify him. Now remember that one of the themes of this series has been this. Always remember that every place Jesus suffered, he did so willingly for us. And where he suffered, we're healed. Where he suffered, we're healed. He, he was the sacrificed lamb. What he endured worked for our benefit. We know that he didn't have to suffer this injustice. We know that he did not have to go through what he went through. This terrible abandonment, this awful injustice, this joke of a court system. He told his disciples, don't you know that I could ask my father right now and he would at once send me more than 12 legions of angels to deliver me? I could right now just look up and say, Father, send them. And the angels would come and whisk me out of here and I would not go through this. But he chose, folks, to walk through this fiery ordeal on our behalf and he chose to lay down his life. Nobody twisted his arm. Nobody made him do it. He said, nobody can take my life without my consent. Let me say that again. Nobody can take my life without my consent. Amen. I lay down my life voluntarily, he said in John 10, 18. 
For I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it back up. Nobody's making me do this. I choose to do this. This is my choice for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved. I love that so in there. Because John is giving it feeling. He's giving it emotion. He's saying God so loved. Of course, Jesus said it. Jesus said it. Jesus gave it feeling. God, he didn't just say God loved the world, so he gave. But so loved the world. So loved the world. I mean, have you ever just so loved somebody you couldn't help but give to them? He so loved the world. And where he suffered willingly, he now strengthens us to successfully endure and overcome the very same thing. Therefore, the Bible says he is able. Can you say with me, he is able? I love those three words, he is able. Can we say it again? He is able. If you really believe it, say it one more time. He is able. What is he able to do? He is able to save completely those who come to God through him. How does he do it? Because he always lives to intercede for you and me. What's Jesus doing right now at the right-hand side of the Father? He sees our pain. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows our trials. He knows what we're passing through. He knows every valley. He knows every difficulty. He knows every pain. He knows every upset. He knows everything we're going through. And the Bible says he prays for us. Heavenly Father, I pray for Bob. I pray for Steve. I pray for Sue. I pray for Jill. I pray for them. I see what they're going through. And Heavenly Father, I'm asking you to strengthen them, help them, heal them, deliver them, guide them, lead them, carry them through to the other side. They will not go down, but they will go through because I'm praying for them. I'm so glad to know he's praying for us. I can't think of another person I'd rather have praying for me. Amen. Isn't it good to know that Jesus is right now praying for you? Praying for you. That your heartbreak will be healed. That your life will come together. That the things that have bound you will lose their grip. That you will discover the fullness of life in him. He's praying for you. And and with all other issues of life and living, because Jesus was the master of life and living, he modeled for us how to handle injustice, and abandonment. He showed us how to handle it because we're all going to go through it. And he showed us how to handle it. So I want to look today at how did Jesus triumph over it? And I believe this is going to help many of you. First thing I see just reading the story of Jesus is that Jesus trusted God's sovereignty over his circumstances. Now, you may wonder, what does sovereignty mean? Now, we talk about a sovereign king. A king is sovereign over his kingdom. And we understand that. But the word sovereignty, when we talk about the sovereignty of God, it refers to a person's supreme power or authority. Sovereignty means I have total power, total authority, total control over something. Now, the Bible says that God is sovereign over all the universe. He, is, he has total control Total power, total sovereignty, God is sovereign over the entire universe. The Bible says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Now, can I just, let me me pop a few bubbles here. God is going to do what he wants, whether or not we say it right, 
or pray it right. Let me put it this way. If the whole world today quit praying, God is still going to work out his plan. God's still going to work out his plan. They say, well, Jeff, aren't we supposed to pray? Yes, we're supposed to pray. And many times we have not because we ask not. But here's the ultimate truth. God's plan was to send forth his son. And Jesus lived in a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross for my sin and yours. He rose again from the dead. And the Bible says he is coming back one day, the victorious King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, if the whole world today decided to not believe that, he's still coming back. And if the whole world said, well, I don't care if he comes or not, he's still coming back. If the whole world quit praying today, he's still coming back. Because whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. God does whatever he pleases. Let me put it this way. He's the boss man. God is the boss man. God is the boss man. God is the boss man. God's going to do what he wants, when he wants, the way he wants. He's going to do it because he's sovereign. The God of the Bible rules over this world and over his purpose with absolute sovereignty. Listen, if he meets with resistance, if the devil resists him and his plans, he either allows it for his purposes or he overcomes it for his purposes. But his purpose will come to pass. And guess what? He's sovereign over your life. He's sovereign over your life. He sees how the devil is attacking you. He sees the problems you're going through. And you know what he says? He says, let the devil attack. That's okay because I'm going to carry you through to the other side. And my plan for you is coming to pass no matter what. Because I'm sovereign and the devil's not. I'm over everything, and the devil is not. The devil's a dog on a leash, and God holds the leash. And Jesus knew this. When Pilate was questioning him after his arrest, he marveled that Jesus didn't answer him back. He said, what's the matter with you? Let me quote him. Are you not speaking to me, said Pilate? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? See what Pilate's saying to him? I'm in control of your life, Jesus. I've got power over you. But Jesus answered him real quick. Jesus said, Pilate, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Jesus understood the power of sovereignty, the reality of sovereignty. He said, Pilate, you can't lift a finger against me unless my heavenly father allows you to do it. Jesus knew that God was ultimately in charge of his circumstances and that he was the final arbiter over how everything went down. This is why Peter said, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. Why? When he suffered, he made no threats. Why? It says, because he instead entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He said, God's watching every single thing that happens in this kangaroo court and the way I'm being treated. He's in total charge, and I'm entrusting myself totally to him. And it all worked out according to God's plan. What looked like a terrible injustice and stinging abandonment, Jesus knew that God saw it, was in charge, and that his will would ultimately be accomplished. What looked like terrible injustice at the hands of man was actually God working out his plan. 
Amen. Amen. Listen to what Peter said on the day of Pentecost. He said, this man, Jesus, delivered over. Watch how he was delivered over. By the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed him to a cross. He was nailed at the hands of godless men. And they put him to death. But while it looked like godless men were in charge, the Bible says that the predetermined plan And foreknowledge of God is what was actually coming to pass. God's sovereignty was in charge. And God's sovereignty is in charge of your life, whatever you're going through. If you're his and he is yours and you love the Lord and you are seeking him, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment you will condemn. You are the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. If God be for you, who can be against you? Because no matter what happens to you by devil or man, God is working out his plan. Amen. So he trusted the sovereignty of God. Second thing I see, he focused on the end result and not the present pain. Catch this. Hebrews talks to us about Jesus on the cross. And Hebrews says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him. Now mark that phrase. Who for the joy set before him. That's the end result. The joy set before him was the end result. He endured the cross. That was the present pain. It says, He got through the present pain... By focusing on the end result. Are you following me? See, he didn't focus on his pain. He focused on the gain that was coming when he got through with the pain. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, again, let me say, the joy set before him was the end result. And the cross was the present pain. Let me put it another way. Here's what Jesus did and what we must do if we're going to get through injustice and abandonment. Jesus focused on what he was going to, not what he was going through. See, if you're the Lord's, he's working out his plan. And he's always taking you to the end result, the finished product, the glory that shall be revealed. Paul did the same thing. He said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, the pain, are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed, the gain. See, you're going through some pain, but God is going to never, God never wastes a pain. God is going to take you through the pain and he's going to carry you to the other side of whatever the trial might be. And when you get to the other side, you'll experience the gain. Jesus said, I'm not going to focus on the pain. I'm going to focus on the gain. He focused on the joy set before him, his resurrection. His resurrection was the joy set before him. And then his exaltation as king of kings and lord of lords. He knew what was going to happen once he was resurrected. He was going to have a name above every name in heaven and earth and under the earth. And he was focused on the joy of the redemption of billions of people throughout the ages. And that was the end result. When Jesus was on the cross, you were on his mind. You were on his mind. Isn't that a song? You were on his mind. It's true. 
When Jesus was on the cross, you were on his mind. Because you and I, we're part of the end result. We're in those billions who have been delivered from sin and death and hell and the grave. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We are heaven-bound and not hell-bound. We have sight and we're no longer blind. We're alive and once we were dead. And, and Jesus looked down the tunnel of time and he focused his eyes on the coming joy and not the present pain. And sometimes, as hard as it is, you got to get your eyes off of what you're going through and get your eyes on what you're going to. And then I just, I love this. It says, he despised the shame. Wait a minute, what does that mean? He despised the shame. Well, stop and think with me. The events surrounding the cross were surrounded with shame. His disciples and the crowd gave in to shaming abandonment. His reputation was covered with shaming mockery. Purple robe, crown of thorns, slapping, mocking, making fun of him. His decency was sullied with shaming nakedness. His comfort was replaced with shaming torture. His dignity was replaced with the utterly undignified suffering on a cross. There was nothing dignified about the cross. You lost your dignity on the cross. And Jesus suffered that indignity. So it says that surrounded with all this shame, Jesus despised it. What does that mean? I'm going to take a little bit of poetic license. I've tried to step into his mind, which is very hard to do when it's the Son of God. But but I'm going to take those words. He despised the shame. Let me tell you what I think it meant. I think Jesus had this attitude towards the shame that was all around him that he was experiencing. I, I think he was saying, shame, I despise you. Let's start there. He despised the shame. Shame, I despise you. You have no power over me. I refuse to focus on you. For you are temporary and will soon be swallowed up by my resurrection victory. I refuse, shame, to give you space or credence or room to torment me. I despise you, shame. Your moments are numbered. Joy shall be my focus. The joy set before me is where my gaze rests. For soon... Satan will be defeated by my shed blood and billions will be delivered from death by my resurrection. So shame, take a hike. Get behind me, shame. It is finished. Amen. Now some of you have got shame in your life. It's time for you to take a stand against shame. Because then I tell you, the blood of Jesus Christ has delivered you from all shame. Your past is washed away. What you did that was shameful or what was done to you that was shameful has all been handled by the one who experienced shame on our behalf. And the way he despised the shame, it's time for you to quit coddling the shame and entertaining the shame and hugging the shame and and, and, and receiving the shame, and you need to take a stand like he did and despise that shame. Despise that shame. Jesus focused on the finish, 
not the present pain. And then finally, he forgave and prayed for the crowd that abandoned him. Wow. He knew some of them out there. Wait a minute, didn't I heal you? Didn't I touch you? Didn't I feed you on that day when the multitudes ate? Oh, I recognize you. What are you doing down there? The Bible says he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Our Lord Jesus practiced what he preached. He forgave. And you know what happened when he forgave? It released upon us a grace that when we are treated with injustice, and I have been and you have been, when we're abandoned and I have been and you have been, we can say, Lord, I forgive the injustice. I forgive the fair weather crowd. And I'm going to go on to God's highest for my life. It freed Jesus to go straight to the cross and die for our sins. He, rose, he died on that cross and rose from the dead. Victor over death, hell, and the grave. Can we stand today? I want you to say with me, I conquer injustice by trusting God's sovereignty. Focusing on the outcome and forgiving my enemies. There's a healer in the house today. There's a healer in the house today. And some of you, now let me, let me just, I'm speaking by the Spirit here. Some of you, you got hurt bad somewhere in the past. And it has affected you with church. It's affected you with your zeal. It's affected you with being able to get excited about the things of God like you used to be. And you know what? That stone's going to roll away today. And God's going to set you free because we're going to give to him our trust in his sovereignty. That he's working out his plan no matter what the devil tried. And then we're going to trust him. We're going to trust him. Lean on him. And we're going to give to him where we were hurt. And we're going to ask him to heal us on the inside. We're going to forgive say, well, I don't feel like forgiving. Well, you don't have to feel like it. Jesus didn't say wait for the feeling. Because if you wait for the feeling, you're never going to forgive. Forgiveness is a choice, and you just got to say it. Say it. People have said to me, Jeff, how do I, I can't forgive. How do I forgive? I just don't feel it. I want to kill them. <laughs> what you do is you say it. You say it. You have a tongue that can speak when you tell it to. And you say it. I forgive them. And it's hard at first. I, f- 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 <laughs> Help me, Jesus. I f- 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 they don't deserve it. No, they don't deserve it, but you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for you to get you free. That's right. So can we go to the one who modeled for us how to overcome injustice and abandonment? You've been abandoned. It hurts you. You've experienced injustice, things that were not fair or right. 
Say with me with your hands raised towards the Savior. Just say with me. Write to him. Say, Lord, I trust your sovereignty. You're moving to work out your plan. In the name of Jesus. Now I want you just to say, Lord, I place it in your hands. And I focus on the outcome and not my present pain. Now let's say it, Lord, I forgive. Those who were unjust and those who abandoned me, I forgive. Say it, I forgive in Jesus' name. Now, I, I want to do something. I felt impressed in the first service to do this, and I want to do it again. Because there is an anointing here today that is very rich. God's doing something. And those of you who say, you know, Jeff, this spoke right to me. I needed this. And and I am struggling with the sovereignty issue. I'm struggling with the things you talked about. I'm in a real, I need the touch of God. I need the grace of God to get me to the other side of injustice or abandonment. I want you to come down here. I want you to just come to the altar right now. Slip out and come because I'm going to anoint you with oil. The Bible tells me to, not just for physical healing, but God heals the inside. So I want you to come and just say, Jeff, I need a healing. I need healing on the inside. I need a restoration on the inside. I want you to come. Just slip out and come right now. Don't hesitate. If if you feel that little nudge on the inside, that's the Holy Ghost right now. You come, and we're going to pray for you in the name of Jesus. We're going to pray for you in the name of Jesus. Come on. And as you're coming, we're going to sing. Thank you, Lord. Keep coming. sing it. Let's let God's spirit move in this place today. Thank you, Lord. Now, there's too many for me to go to all of them individually, but uh, I want you to lift your hands in this altar right now. I'm going to ask God. We're going to pray together. And everybody in the congregation, just put your hand up towards this way. Because people are battling great battles, great spiritual battles. The enemy has really come against some of them. And we're going to believe God today to break the back of the devil, to break the the enemy's back, and to let the captive go free. Captive to unforgiveness, captive to pain, captive to wounding. We're going to believe God to set you free in the name of Jesus. And Lord, right now we ask you to fall on those that are in this altar right now. Lord, you said you're the binder up of the broken in heart. You said that you came to let the oppressed go free. You said, Lord, that you were our great burden bearer. And Lord, you came to set us free indeed. And so we ask you right now, Lord, in Jesus' name, to fall upon those in this altar. And Lord, do what they cannot do. Do the miracle they can't bring to pass. 
Lord, they've done what they can do by coming down here. Now, Lord, you do what they cannot do and set them free and grace them to forgive and grace them to get a new vision, a fresh vision of the sovereignty of God and the plan of God being worked out in their life. Lord, we trust you right now and we believe you to do it in the name of Jesus. Come on, praise him. Let's praise him. Lord, we praise you. We expect it. We believe it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Now we're going to sing, Here I Am to Worship. And as we do, everybody in this altar and some of you that are still out there, I want you to just look up and worship him and say, Lord, I believe that my prayer has been answered and something has shifted in my life today. And I will never be the same. Let's sing it right now. Here I am. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely. All together worthy. All together wonderful to now, can you say with me, it is done. The yay and the amen over this prayer. It's done in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's thank him one more time. Thank you, Lord. 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 You can return to your seats. Thank you so much. How many of you are glad you came to church today? Amen. Now, before we dismiss, I want to encourage you. Next weekend is Easter. And I've shared in the past couple of weeks that we generally have anywhere from 700 to 1,000 people we don't normally have. There's something about Easter. When you invite somebody to Easter, they come. So I want to encourage you. Think about that in-law. Think about that child or that parent. Think about that neighbor, that coworker. Think about them. And, and can we not say to them, hey, you want to go to church with me next weekend? It's Easter. Saturday night at 6, we'll be here for the first one. And then Sunday, the normal times, 9, 10, 30, and 12. Now, let me just give you a little heads up. you got to be on time. Now, there's two times here in this city. There's Fort Worth time and there's real time. <laughs> and... I want to encourage you to be here, not on Fort Worth time, which is about five or 10 minutes late, but be here on time because what we have happening right on time is going to blow you away. And if you get here late, you're going to miss it. Now, if you miss it, you miss it, but you're going to miss a blessing. So get here at 10 before. Claim those seats. You know, get a seat, get your, the ones you've invited a seat. And, and get ready for God to move because we're going to believe God for a bunch of salvations and a bunch of rededications and people who have been out of church for years are going to get back in church. They're going to find out that we don't bite. They're going to find out that they can do church again. So invite somebody. Bring somebody with you. And we're going to see God do great things and be on time. So everybody say with me, on time. On time. Because, I mean, it's going to roll on time. And I don't want you to miss it, all right? I won't be here Wednesday night. I'm getting ready for Easter. 
But Jonathan and the youth team are going to lead the service on Wednesday night. It's going to be great. Come and support the young people. It's going to be wonderful. I will see you next weekend starting Saturday evening at 6. All right? Good to see you. I will go to the back door, but I can't today. So I love you as you go out. I'll do it again soon. It's been so good meeting people. I'm meeting people I didn't even know came to this church. And you know what? People are meeting at the door from one service and then coming into the, the next one. They're going, I didn't know you came to this church. Yeah, I came to this church. Well, I never knew you came to this church. Why didn't you tell me? Well, I don't know. Why didn't you tell me? And they fought right out there. No, I'm kidding. So anyway, let's count to three and let's warm up and shout together. He is risen. Amen? Ready? One, two, three. God bless you. Have a good week. Amen.